gotten from that song and the refrain, people never crumble in a day. Daddies never crumble in a day. And families never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. I've been in a ministry. Uh, I'm not that old, really. But I have been in the ministry in one position or another, and most of that time as a senior pastor for 20 years, over 20 years. And there's no sin that I've encountered more in my counseling with other believers than sexual sin and temptations. Nothing more um, disastrous and heartbreaking. And for some, I've seen wonderful ways in which God is forgiven, obviously, and delivered and set free. And that's where we're headed this morning in this passage. And I've seen others fail to repent. I've seen others who maybe not have experiencing the freedom they want to. They've made great strides and they are battling and they are fighting against those temptations and to the glory of God. And I hope you'll listen carefully this morning. I appreciate the praise team doing that this morning and paving the way for us a little bit. But Kirk Smith is, some of you know him, he's the executive director for the Illinois Home Educators. And I sent this a link to the church this week by email of a video he had posted recently. How many of you are aware of uh, what's called bush honeysuckle here in southern Illinois? And uh, there's a lot of it. For those of you who'd like to go hunting, uh, no gore, Kyle, I think, Kyle, that's where you and I went hunting at, out your place a little bit. There's a lot of that stuff out there, and it gets out, and it's hard to see the deer coming when you're out there hunting. It gets in the way. And Kirk was sharing on that video how that stuff was imported from somewhere in Asia, and it became kind of an ecological mess, hard to get rid of, takes root, and really just takes off and takes over. It kind of reminds me of the poison ivy vines there behind my house that you all have some at your house too. It just grows and, and infests uh, everything around it and grows over the trees and makes the trees look ugly and can kill them maybe after time, I guess. I don't know. I'm not even sure exactly how to get rid of it without going over and getting it all over yourself and tearing it down. Sin is like that, Kirk said, and he's certainly right. And particularly the sin of sexual sin, temptation, it, it's, evas- it's pervasive, it's everywhere. It's, um, you know, prevalent in our culture. Jesus speaks about it here. And a lot has changed since Jesus spoke about this sin. Um, we have internet now and virtual reality. We have not just the internet, but access to it through our smartphones and all that type of thing. And um, the human heart is what's not changed since the day of Jesus. I mean, a lot of things have changed in our day, right? Just in the last few years, along with the lines of transgenderism, its emphasis and 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 technological advances since I was a teenager. Uh, a lot has changed, but the human heart is not, and God's Word is not. So I'd ask you to take your Bible this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and if you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath the chair you're sitting in or close to you. I'd ask you to stand with me as we read the Word of God together this morning. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 27. You've heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Verse 30, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Let's pray. We thank you for your word, God, that is so explicitly given to us. We thank you that you created us in your image, God, so that this commandment is not just something we can see written in stone, but it's actually embedded into the fabric of human beings. We know that there are forbidden places that we are not to go to in relation to these, this particular issue. 
We know by virtue of being created in your image, God, that sex is reserved for a husband and his one wife. Father, you know our hearts. You know our proneness to wonder. So, Father, I ask, God, that you would speak to us from your word. We might see how you define this sin and what you say to do about it for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, again, this morning we find ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount that we've been in for several a few months now, just in chapter 5, and Jesus hits one issue after another. Many different topics are being addressed. And, and now He comes, as He's describing to the people here, that He's not come to abolish the law of the prophets. He's came to fulfill the law. And so He expounds upon this commandment. He said, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you. And when He says, but I say to you, He's not doing away with that. He's telling you what that means and how we are to live according to it. And so... As we think about poison ivy vines taking over our trees or, or bush honeysuckle taking over the woods and it being infested by it, how do we deal with this infestation of uh, a sex-craved culture that we live in? It's all around us. It, it, it's, it's, you, can't, you can't escape the world in that sense unless the Lord just takes us on to be with Him. So what is our response that's supposed to be to the infestation of sexual temptation and sin that surrounds us. Three things in this passage of Scripture. Number one, do not enter. Now, I hope that sounds familiar to you if you were here last Sunday on Mother's Day as I preached in the book of Deuteronomy because Jesus uh, speaks here as He speaks in the book of Deuteronomy, as God speaks in Deuteronomy and says... There are things in relation to marriage and to a husband and wife and in relation to sex that we are not to enter. And so this is the thou shalt not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. This is the seventh commandment. And the seventh commandment is the explicit do not enter sign. So going back to the analogy from last Sunday, imagine a canyon out west somewhere. It's a dangerous canyon. You can go to the Grand Canyon and have a tour perhaps down into the canyon, but this particular canyon is off limits. Do not enter. And the explicit do not enter sign is the seventh commandment that Jesus quotes here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Whatever verse it is. What verse was it? 27? Do not enter. And I say explicit because it's also given even before that. In Genesis chapter 2 where Jesus says, A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. They shall be one flesh. That, that's really where the command is. And as I was praying earlier, that's, that is written on the fabric of human hearts. The mercy is found in the explicit command. The mercy is found in that God says, okay, it's written on their hearts. They should know they're not supposed to do this. But we suppress that according to Romans chapter 1, don't we? We ignore it. We don't want to think about it. We think we ought to be able to be liberated and not suppress our sexual desires and so forth. Knowing that, God in His mercy to Israel explicitly gives this command, you shall not commit adultery. He doesn't do away with That's the explicit do not enter sign. Now, last Sunday when we talked about going into a canyon, perhaps we talk about the, the uh, sin of polygamy. And we see it written about in Scripture, in the Old Testament in particular, and God describes what's going on, but He does not prescribe polygamy. Polygamy has always been sin to have more than one wife. It's always been sin. So what we see in the Old Testament is God saying, do not enter. Relationships, intimate relationships are between a husband and wife. Do not go past that. Do not enter. But if you do, God mercifully puts up some, some guardrails inside that dangerous cabin if you were to go in there so that the woman is protected who might be the husband of a man who has another wife. When it comes to the sin of adultery and how Jesus expands on upon this morning, there is no guardrails. There is no safety net. 
God's not regulating this as He did polygamy in the Old Testament saying it's wrong, but if they go ahead and do it anyway, well, I'm going to make a way so that the outworkings of polygamy is minimized. God doesn't do that with the sin of adultery. He doesn't say, well, I know they're going to go ahead and sin sexually anyway, so to minimize the outworkings of that sin, I'm going to go ahead and say, as long as you're safe, go ahead and do it. Like we want to hear about in the world, right? No, God says, do not enter. There's no safety net. There's no guardrails. There's no going down to the canyon and God being merciful and saying, okay, well, let me regulate this here. Well, it's still being sin. The Old Testament has a lot to say about adultery and about sexual sin. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 22, we were in Deuteronomy 21 last Sunday, and I mentioned this several weeks ago. In that passage of Scripture, in Deuteronomy 22, talks about if a man marries a woman and finds out that she was not chaste, that she was not a virgin. And he can prove it. In some way, he's able to prove that. And he's to take her to her parents. He's to take her to elders of the city. And if it's proven that she has not been a virgin until she was married, that somehow that's, that she had sex outside of marriage, she is to be stoned to death. So if anyone ever says to you, where does the Bible say it's a sin to live together with somebody? Or it's a sin to have sex outside of marriage. Well, we don't stone people today for having sex outside of marriage because there is no nation in existence today. No nation in existence today like Old Testament Israel where God is king, right? So we don't stone people. But what God forbade then in relation to adultery and sexual sin, He forbids now. Understand that. And it needs to be said loud and clear. I keep coming across it in the church. Where you got believers wanting to walk with the Lord, seeking to justify what God has strictly said, do not enter. And that's pretty strong. It's a, my tone is pretty strong. I understand that. And if you're in this sin this morning, you're in the right place. First, you need to have the mercy and grace to hear that. And secondly, you need to receive the mercy and grace that comes through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. So I'm glad you're here. Do not enter, Jesus says. You shall not murder, you shall not murder, he says in verse 21, verse 27. You've heard it was said you shall not commit adultery. Verse 26, But I say to you that everyone looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I mentioned several weeks ago, uh, talking about kids and how kids, my kids in particular, are learning to do spit wads. And I say, don't do that. And sometimes I've turned around a couple times and I'll see the straw next to the lip and, and I look and, but they didn't do it. But it's there. And have they sinned? They might say, I didn't do it, Dad. But they've sinned because they were planning it. They were plotting it. They were thinking about it. And what I want them to do, what I'm to understand is don't even think about it. You had a desire in your heart to disobey Dad. If you hadn't got caught, you probably went ahead and did it. Don't even think about it. And that's what Jesus is saying number two here. Do not enter, number one. Secondly, do not even think about it. Verse 28. But I say to you, to everyone that looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Broadening the intent of the seventh commandment, Jesus says, everyone... He doesn't say just a married man or a married woman because some people will say, well, he's talking about adultery here. He's not talking about sex outside of marriage if a person's single or whatever. No. He says everyone, everyone who looks at a woman, it doesn't say if she's a married woman or not, does it? Everyone who looks at a woman with lust, and it works both ways. He singles out the man here, but women struggle with this sin as well. Everyone who looks at a woman with lust, or if you look at a man with lust... Has committed adultery with her in his heart. 
So you think of that forbidden canyon that you're not supposed to be entering. And you look out upon it. And you think, you see the do not enter sign. And you imagine that there are, well, the intent of that sign must be that we're not supposed to go down that dangerous canyon because we might get to the bottom and it's really dangerous down there. But but really, it's probably okay if we go over here around the, the forbidden entrance and we just take a look because we don't have any intent getting rock bottom. We'll, we'll never get to the place where we can be rock bottom. You hear that alarm going off? That's the devil don't want me to preach about this. You know what? It'll go off in a minute. I don't know where it's at or I'd stomp it. I'll say. So... We, our intent is to never be rock bottom. We just want to take a look and peek over the edge and, and see the, the bottom of the canyon and see how dangerous it is. I see that thing now. It's a good thing it went off. He's getting ready to get thrown about 50 feet. Now, do not enter. Don't even think about it. Don't say, well, the intent of that sign is to not go to the bottom where it's real dangerous, to commit adultery. That's what the Pharisees said, brother. The Pharisees said, well, Jesus doesn't want us to do that. But it's okay to go over here and take a peek, take a look. You take a look over an edge of a cliff, you're going to fall off and slip. Jesus says, don't even think about it. Don't even look at a woman with lust. Lustful intent. Notice what your Bible says. Lustful intent. It says in the English Standard Version, it means desire or longing or to covet. It's translated that way. Jesus connects the seventh commandment with the tenth commandment. You shall not covet. And one of those ways it's forbidden, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. So he's saying not covet, not desire, not long for something that doesn't belong to you, in particular someone else's wife or bride. But he doesn't clarify another wife here. He says lustful intent towards a woman, towards someone else. So this is a thought that all begins here. It begins here and here. It's a lustful desire, a thought, something you want, something you just can't, you think about and you imagine. Kent Hughes says, no sensual sin is ever committed that is not first imagined. Engaging in pornography is like advocating a pro-choice, pro-abortion position. How is that? If you think a baby is merely a non-human fetus, just a fetus, then it's a whole lot easier to justify an abortion, isn't it? And move forward with it. Now, I know some people will say, no, it's human, and they go ahead and do it anyway, but that's few and far between. Why do you say, preacher, that pornography is like pro-choice, pro-abortion position. Because that's how men in particular, but also women, think or don't think in relation to the sin of pornography, lust and desire and how it manifests itself sometimes Look at looking at things that are forbidden. This woman that's mentioned here, do not look at a woman, and it could be a man, do not look at them with lustful intent. This individual, this woman, is a human being created in the image of God who is in need of a relationship with God. She is someone's daughter. She's either somebody's wife or one day she will be somebody's wife. If you're not married, she could one day be yours or someone else's. When it comes to this particular tent, all, all that, just like when somebody suppresses the fact that this, this baby growing inside this mother is, is really just a fetus and not really human yet, and they don't want to think of it as human, so it is with the sin of pornography. You just don't want to think about it. This is just an object. This is just meat. It's just flesh and blood to satisfy my temporary cravings. Forget that this is a person in sin, in need of a relationship with God that's been taken advantage of probably all their life. That's what we need to think about, but instead we don't. Jesus says in relation to the sin of adultery, the sin of sexual immorality, really is how he's expanding it. Do not even think about it. We're not to even lust. It don't take pornography to lust and desire in a wrong way. You can do that driving down the road this time of year in the springtime when some ladies forget how it is uh, to dress. Okay? 
And it's, I'm not putting it off on all the ladies. You all understand that, right? Because I'll get stoned before I leave the church service this morning. But modesty is something to be thinking about at the same time. Jesus says a lot about it. God's Word talks about it. And we should be concerned about the inside and not, this, not as much as the outside. Do not enter. Do not even think about it. We were at uh, Bellwood yesterday. I took my boys and some friends to Bellwood. And it's out there. And one of my boys comes with a friend carrying a snake by the tail and says, I hear the friend say, do water moccasins live around here? Now, water moccasins are poisonous if you didn't know that. Here they are carrying this tail by a snake. Yeah, is, there po- is, this, is this snake poisonous, basically, carrying it by the tail? And I, I looked at it and I said, put it down. No, I don't think that's a poisonous snake. It don't look like one, but I don't know for sure, so just put it down. Get away from it. That's what Jesus says, number three. Get away from it. That's what he's saying in verses 29 and 30 if you look at it. Just get away from it. Take some radical measures and distance yourself from temptations that might lead ultimately even to adultery. What he's saying here in these verses is get radical or go to hell. That's what he says. Look at verse 29 in your Bible. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members that their whole body be thrown into hell. Verse 30, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now we understand Jesus is speaking with exaggerated language here. And we know that if someone has eyes and they see and they poke out both of their eyes for that matter, the right eye might be because the right is what you usually people usually depend on their right hand or their right eye. You know, they're that way, but not everybody. Some are left-handed and so forth. Even if you were to poke out both eyes, if you've been able to see at some point, you can still remember visions, things that you've seen, right? You can still sin and imagine and all of that. Cut off your hand, you still got a left hand. Cut off both hands, you can still sin in some way. I knew a man that was legally blind in Tennessee who was married and found out later he was sitting up late at night looking, taking these big old huge binoculars to watch images on his television screen. If you want to find a way to do something, you can. So what Jesus is dealing with here, He's simply saying this in exaggerated language. He is saying this. Get radical in relationship to how you deal with these issues in your life. Don't play with the snakes, right? Don't carry them by the tail and hope they don't bite or hope it's not poisonous. Just get away from it altogether. question is, are you willing to do that? You who are struggling with pornography or a flirtatious relationship with someone that's not your spouse. If you find yourself, here's some examples, all right, just give you some examples. If you find yourself attracted to someone, you're a married person, or maybe you're not, but they are a married person, you need to be sure you are never alone with them. Billy Graham even had a policy he'd never be alone with somebody who wasn't his wife anyway, so in relation to counseling and so forth, difficult for a minister to work through. And if there are unique situations in which you need to be alone with someone of the opposite sex, be sure you inform your accountability partner or even your wife. If you've struggled recently with looking at things you shouldn't look at, looking at pornography on your smartphone, you struggled recently, I'll let you define what recently is. You need to seriously consider getting rid of your smartphone. Get radical in how you're going to protect your family as well. There's some difficult choices parents need to make. When someone carries around a smartphone, if it's a teenager or a kid, it's like carrying around a loaded weapon. I hope you understand that. I hope there's some measures you're taking to be sure that they will look. They will. Same goes with laptop computer. If you've looked at something recently, maybe you need to get rid of your computer. And don't give me this line, well, I need it for work. Hogwash. If you're serious enough about holiness and about your soul, maybe you ought to start looking for another job that don't require a smartphone or a laptop computer. 
I mean, you say, well, preacher, what are you talking about? We're talking about your soul. That if you just headlong go onslaught into this particular sin, you will go to hell. Do you understand that? Yes, we are saved by grace through faith, but are you saved? Is there a desire for, if there's a desire for holiness, then take radical measures, poke out your eye, cut off your hand, get rid of whatever it might be. Distance yourself from this poison, this venom that could kill you, could kill your soul. Cut off the TV, get rid of the cable, get rid of the internet if you're struggling with these things. When you travel, a lot of married men struggle this way. It's when they travel, they're alone. If you do have a smartphone, you got GPS on it, then somebody can track you. That can be helpful. But if not, you're going to be staying in a hotel room, maybe you need to go and tell the people at the desk, and they look at you funny and say, I want you to take the TV out of the room for me. Just take it out. And they'll do it. If they want to please you, just, just tell them to take the TV out of your room. Accountability software for some of these technological devices. Maybe you're getting some of this stuff you're looking at from somebody else, a friend. Maybe you need to tell on them. You got a friend at school that's showing you stuff on their phone, or a relative that's showing you some pictures or something. Tell on them, expose them. Tell somebody that's safe. There's a whole gauntlet, a list of things we could go through, right? Another radical measure you could take in applying this is confession. You should take it. It's biblical. You must do this. You must confess it. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Let me tell you something. For those of you who are struggling with sins like this. You've got this person you're flirting around with or you've, you're struggling with looking at things you shouldn't look at or whatever it is. Don't get, don't get caught. What I mean by that is don't be more sneaky because you're going to get caught. God already sees it. Just go ahead and confess it now. Confess it to this person that you love, that's your wife. What you may need to do first before you do that is find a godly man. If you're a man, find a godly man that you can confess this to and say, Brother, I've got some struggles that I've not shared with and I need to share it with you and I know I need to confess it to my wife. Maybe even that person might need to go with you. Come and talk with me. I'll talk with you. It, that sin's just going to grow in the dark. Loves to grow in the dark. So just imagine now you're here. Maybe your spouse is with you or somebody knows you well and they're a friend of yours or whatever. And uh, what, if, what if they ask you when you go home today, hey, honey, you been looking at anything? Anything you need to tell me? I don't know about you. My wife can tell when I'm, when I'm not trying to tell her everything. How's your day been at work today? Oh, it's been, it's been fine. Really, how's your day been? <laughs> well, you know, I had this come up. Now. She can tell. You're just going to lie to your spouse, to your friend. What if they were to ask you today? You need to confess it now. Find that friend, confess to that friend, talk to the Lord. You need to tell your spouse. You say, I don't want to hurt my wife. Well, you already hurt her without her knowing it. And she's going to find out sooner or later she will. I've told people to do that before and they won't do it and they still struggle with the sin. They might anyway. But the guys I know that I've told to do that and just don't do it typically still, still struggle. Confession, accountability. I just talked about that. Effective accountability is what you need. Um... You need you need people that can you can say look look man I'm struggling with this or tell your your friend at work you know uh, I'm struggling with this but pray for me you need that 
I failed. I failed this week. I messed up. You need that. But you also need effective accountability to say, look, why don't you call me? I'm getting ready to go on a business trip. Would you just give me a call? Just feel free to call me. That's, that's, that's taking accountability another step. Are you willing to do that? Your soul is at stake here. Are you willing to do that? <laughs> are, are you willing to say, look, here's the logins to my, to my laptop and my smartphone that I cannot get rid of right now. I need you to be the administrator over these things so I cannot go in and change anything. Or here's the keys to my apartment. And every time you want to, you can go into my apartment and just... Just, just show up, even if I'm not there, just to see if I've got something there. It's not supposed to be there. I turn on my computer. You know, I, I could go on and on, couldn't I? But how radical are we willing to deal with sin? Are we willing to, to poke out our eye or cut off our hand? Let me say this. Heath Lambert wrote a book called Finally Free. I'd highly recommend that you get access to it. I've got a couple of copies back there, and I know it may not be a book you just want to go pick up in front of everybody, but I've got a copy of it. But, but anyway, um, he says this, radical measures give you space in which to grow. And so we understand that cutting off your hand and poking at your eye is not going to take care of your heart. But it does give you space to grow and space to distance yourself from particular struggles that you have. So take those measures. And secondly, employing radical measures can be evidence of grace. So let me say this to you. If you're willing to, to do some of these things I've just talked about, radical measures to deal with these temptations you're dealing with, whether it's looking at certain things or a certain person you're attracted to and kind of flirting around with or they with you, if you're willing to take those measures... It may be that you're still having some struggles, but, but if you're willing to have accountability, you're willing to make confession, you're willing to get rid of something here or do this, that's evidence, that can be evidence of God's grace, that you are a believer, you are someone who hates your sin, and you're trying, you're trying to do what you know to do to distance yourself from it, and one day, one day the Lord might just grant to be finally free from that hold. One last thing I need to mention. Origen is a church father from the third century who castrated himself. Did it work? I don't know. I hadn't talked to him. But it, whole, it comes back to the whole thing. It's about the heart, right? This command slays us and leads us to the cross. How can we be free from this type of sin that's taken root in our lives? The fourth point in the outline that I'm going to close with is look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Jesus is the one giving this instruction here, and He's the one you need to look to. That's the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. Look to Him. Through Jesus, you can be fully forgiven. Amen? Fully forgiven. Completely forgiven. Why is that? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 again, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law, laws like you shall not commit adultery. I didn't come to abolish that. I came to fulfill it. How does He fulfill you shall not commit adultery? He doesn't do it. He lives it perfectly. He doesn't cross the line. He doesn't have a lustful desire in His heart. Never creeps into His thoughts. He is God. He is holy. He doesn't change when He comes to earth in that sense at all. He fulfills it by His perfect life. So here's this do not enter sign. You're struggling not to enter. You're struggling not to take a look. You're struggling not to even look over the edge. Do not enter. And Jesus sees the sign in the opposite direction that says, Come ye, all who are weary and heavy laden with pornography or, or lust or flirtation with somebody that's not your wife, and I'll give you rest. He's, he's the sign in the opposite direction. Look to Jesus. He fulfills the command with His sinless life. And because of that, it is this Jesus Christ who nails your sin to the cross. Amen? He takes it. All of it. All the shame, all the guilt some of you are experiencing right now and feeling. He takes all of that and He nails it to the cross. He slays it. That's why I love the song we'll sing at the end this morning. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. That's what Christ does. 
Through Jesus, you can be fully forgiven. And that's the grace as a believer that's struggling with these type of issues that you've got to preach to yourself, that you've got to embrace as you're struggling not to even look at the do not enter sign. You've got to turn and look to Christ. You can't be morally neutral here. You've got to be in church. You've got to be with other Christians. You've got to be in fellowship. You've got to be pouring over the Word, memorizing the Word, putting His Word in your heart that you may not sin against Him. Through Jesus, you can be fully forgiven and are if you're trusting in Him. That's the key to walking in freedom. Praise God, one day, not only will we be free, as it's been said often, from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin. You can be free now. And praise God, one day, you will be free as a believer from the very presence of this sin and all other sin. Amen. Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. Lord, bring that day. Haste that day. Let your kingdom come when my faith shall be made sight and the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Keep looking to that. Through Jesus, you can be fully forgiven. And secondly, through Jesus, you can be finally free. That's the title of that book I mentioned to you. If you look back in these verses, whoever's committed with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his what? In his heart. The heart needs to be changed. The desires need to be changed. And Jesus gives a new heart with new desires. If you are a believer, you're not yet a believer whatever place you might be in, He can forgive you. And in forgiving, He gives power. He gives that new heart, the empowerment of His Spirit. And you may be a believer who has the power of the Spirit, who will have the power of the Spirit living in you, who's struggling terribly with different types of sin. But you can be set free from that by relying upon the grace that He gives by taking these radical steps that we've talked about by letting the sorrow and shame of your sin be a means of grace to keep you from it. To finally be free from sexual sin. I'd really encourage you, if you fall into this category in any way at all, that you would please go to the Lord in prayer and that you would seek out someone that you trust that's a mature Christian and you would talk to them today. Please know. I know a lot of you don't know me well. Somebody, a couple of people told me at times, well, he seems kind of scarier. I listen to that. He yells in the pulpit. So he's, you know, and I think they find out later that I'm much more tame in person, but still try to be honest and direct. I, I'm trying to say, I'm your pastor. I'd love to talk with you too, but I'm not the high priest. Jesus is, and, we, and you are the church. And we've got brothers and sisters we can talk to as well, so please feel like you can come and talk to me or please seek out somebody that's a mature believer in Christ. Let me close by saying this. We are all guilty of this sin in some way. And it should instill within us humility. We shouldn't be proud if we've never looked at pornography or that we've never committed adultery. It should remove attitudes and judgment, uh, judgmental attitudes, right? This, this sin, this, this commandment slays us. It should remove judgmental attitudes. So I want to say to you, if you have a friend that comes to you, longtime friend, and they come and confess something to you that you had no clue about, or your spouse comes and shares something with you, believer, as hurtful as that's going to be, it's going to hurt. Be ready to forgive. That don't mean you're going to forget it all in a moment. And it's not going to take months, even years sometimes, for those scars to gradually heal. I'm not trying to minimize that. But if somebody comes and confesses without being caught especially, but they're just coming and, and they're confessing it, that is a sign of grace. So be ready. Be ready for that. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning? Perhaps you're here this morning and 
There's other types of sin in our lives that is rampant, folks, and you need to trust in Jesus. And we praise God that there is forgiveness for all sin. There is nothing that you have done that is too great that God will not forgive. There is nothing. Repent of your sin. Turn to Jesus Christ. Put your trust in Him, asking Him to forgive you. I would love to talk with you right now this morning, today, during this last song that we sing or after church is over. I'd love to talk with you about how God may be at work in your heart. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, that You are so gracious to look at our hearts and not sweep what You see under the rug. Father, I pray that You would do heart surgery on us this morning in whatever way in whatever manner that needs to look give us wisdom as we think about confessing sin and there's sometimes we're unwise in how we go about things and how much we declare or tell and then sometimes we don't tell enough God I pray you'd be gracious Lord so that This sin is choked out of the body of Christ that's present here this morning. For your glory, thank you for your forgiveness and love. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to stand together and sing, It is well with my soul, I think is what we're singing. So let's stand and praise our God for the truth of His forgiveness and the freedom that we can have in Jesus Christ from all sin. Let's stand and praise the Lord together this morning. You come of God speaking. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my love thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul it is well it is well with my soul with my trials should come let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath Shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul.
be here with us in God's house today. Tim Johnson, one of our deacons, is going to close us in prayer. And I'll be standing at those back doors. I'd love a chance to meet you if I haven't met you before or, or meet you again or talk with you. We can sit and talk right now a little bit after the church is over or whatever. But um, you be sure and do that and seek out somebody you can talk to and pray with you about your struggles and so forth. And I've got copies of that book, Finally Free, I told you about on this little desk sitting in the back of the church. And, and uh, But I'll also post a Post something online about that, that uh, book review about it. So if you want to purchase that online or something like that, you can do it too. Brother Tim, would you close us in prayer? Let's pray. Father, we feel such a strong desire to wander away from you. And God, these broken bodies often crave things that you have told us are forbidden. But God, we're thankful for the forgiveness that's in Jesus. And so God, we ask that you... Remind us through your Holy Spirit to be ultimately satisfied in nothing less than him. Um, God, forgive us where we fail you. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We have been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. 
At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus's body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel.